0: you.
1: everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Shotgun Sprattling and Ryan Abraham. We have a good show for you guys today. Back again, we took a little break on Thursday. It was our bye week too, if you will. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a combo episode today, actually. We're going to be talking about the bye week, give our report from practice, but also preview Notre Dame. These two gentlemen... Uh, We'll be busy on Thursday, so we won't have a Thursday show again. So it's a hybrid episode uh, today, so glad you tuned in for that. Uh, like I said, we'll be looking at Notre Dame. We'll be talking about the Pac-12 too. Interesting games this weekend. Uh, and we got to see them because it was a bye week, as I've said. Uh, and also, if you have questions, comments, concerns, please put them wherever you're watching. I believe we are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. And you can tweet at us, hashtag Tunnel Vision. I'll put it on the screen. You can also call us. We have a call in the queue right now already. So wow. <laughs> thank you for that. 5 uh, 5124 tunnel We will talk to you. Hey, and this is the week to do it. We, uh, we love hearing your questions and your comments. Comments and, and since there's a bye week, we have more to talk about, more questions to answer. So uh, definitely do that. But guys, where do you want to start? There's a lot to discuss tonight.
2: Yeah, well, first off, this is a great time. We have until the end of tomorrow to get our best deal of the year. If True. For two months, basically the rest of the season, VIP access on uscfootball.com. That's where this all comes from. I know some of you guys just only watch on YouTube or Facebook or Periscope or whatever. But uscfootball.com is a website. Tons of inside information, lots of articles going up all the time, all of us writing, putting up videos, putting up photos, insider stuff on the Peristyle, which is our premium message board. Make sure you check it out. Two months of access <laughs> to it for a buck. So, for a
1: buck, people.
2: For just a dollar. And so, here's the thing. Even I can afford that It's stupid. That True. Yeah.
1: If something were to go down and everyone's keeping their eyes out for if what happens with USC football this season, it always goes up on our VIP board. First things first, we like to treat our members so... If you want to get the latest, make sure you take advantage of this deal because you don't know what's going to happen this season, but you want to be prepared and, and that's the way you do it. So two yeah. months for $1.00 expires tomorrow. So make sure you get on that.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. Like you just have to ridiculous. go on and do that. Just, just go do it. You'll be, you'll thank me later. So you'll love
1: it. <laughs> true. Very true. Now, you
2: know, your significant other might not thank us because you're spending too much time on the website. We get that a lot. I you'll... do.
1: It's kind of weird. People are like, oh, my wife knows you. Cause I l- watch you all the time. I'm like, cool. <laughs> nice to know that. <laughs> but yeah. So guys, bi-week report, what did you guys take away from practice? Uh, it was a shorter uh, practices this week, probably like around an hour, hour and a half. No pads on Tuesday, shoulder pads, and shorts on Wednesday. And I believe the same thing on Thursday, if that was closed for us. Um, so a lighter practice, getting guys' bodies right, I think was the priority in that sense. What do you take away from that, given that we've kind of questioned how they're preparing for each game, given the record right now?
2: Yeah, you kind of would have liked to see come out in more of a physical nature and have a full pads practice on Tuesday, I think, Keely, you tweeted that out, Uh, you know, one of the first things you tweeted out for practice, and I retweeted that and said, yeah, this is going to go over well, where they didn't have pads on on Tuesday, but they kind of did it reverse, where they did no pads on Tuesday, and then shoulder pads on Wednesday, and we believe on Thursday too, like you said, that was closed to us. Uh, We didn't get to see that one. Would have liked to see, you know, maybe some more, you know, one of the days where you're doing more physical stuff, maybe you do it on Thursday, you kind of reverse it. We always talk about mix it up, do something different. I guess it was mixed up a little bit, but it was you'd rather not mix up where you take a full pads day and turn it into a no pads day.
3: Yeah. And one of the things that was the focus for them was to try to get some of those young guys. Uh, Clay Helton kind of said the guys that are on the cusp, the guys like Max Williams, who could be contributors, but they need to get them a little bit more experience and more work out there. That was one of their goals. Obviously healing up was one of their goals. Yep. And you got you got some guys like Vi who you know had suffered a, a knee probably a knee sprain a couple weeks ago but you know was able to play through it. Those are the type of guys you want to you know rest. However, you need to be out there tackling. you need to be focusing on the areas where you've struggled and how much were they doing that in the, uh, during the bye week that's a big question. you know one of the, that that was the biggest thing for us and you know, it helps to tackle when you have full pads on. You know, and you actually go at it full speed and do those things. I mean, obviously, you read the Bruce Feldman article about how Ohio State kind of
2: turned their things, their defense around with tackling and stuff. So they they tackle during like five minutes or so of seven on seven periods. Like so, they they do more tackling too, but in a safe way. And I, you know, I think USC needs to incorporate something like that when tackling is. You know, it was better against Washington. I guess that's that's good. Uh, but you want to be able to start, come out of the gate and be able to tackle. And we just haven't seen that the last couple of years, I guess.
1: And this is a Notre Dame team, if we're looking ahead, that was pretty physical with Georgia. Both teams are physical. They hung in there uh, for the whole game. You can't really flip a switch when it comes to USC. You kind of go a little slow, a little easy by week, and then suddenly you're going to ramp up the physicality. Do you think there might be a little bit of a, a shock come Saturday?
2: Yeah, so it's funny. like The USC defense and Notre Dame ge- defense – both gave up the same amount of points this past weekend, uh, zero. But USC didn't play. Uh, <laughs> nice one, right? Did, Keeley, did Keeley, Notre Dame really play? I mean, it's Bowling Green. They played Bowling Green. Keely's like, oh, usually Notre Dame has a bye week. Well, though no, they kind of did. Yeah. And, uh, but it was. I mean, if you're Notre Dame, that's a great way you get a lot of young people playing time. You get live tackling. You get practice. You win fifty-two to nothing. There's little things you can fix. Um, it, it seemed like a really good weekend for Notre Dame. So it's not like USC's got this huge advantage. You, I mean, Notre Dame's, by, you know by week when is exactly as you would have scripted it if you wanted to, you know, draw it out. So I think that puts a little more pressure on USC to make sure you got to come to play. And if USC was like kind of getting physical each week by going to games as opposed to doing it in practice, skipping a game might not be that good of a thing because you're, you're sure. skipping a week of yeah. physicality. So I think it's, you know, the honestly, it's going to be on the coaches this week to make sure you can get back ramped up heading into, I know you wanted to get healthy, but now you got to get ready to play a top 10 uh, team on the road again. Um, and, uh, you know, we know that's not going to be easy. And, and that's yeah. kind of the,
3: the deal with any bye week. Any team is going to rest players, try to get guys healthy. You know, it's always a key during bye weeks. But also it's installing. You know, certain teams always have big game by weeks. Steve Spurrier was one of the best at creating yes. his schedule where there would always be a bye week either before the Georgia game or before the Florida State game when he was at Florida, you know. So he would always schedule those things out to make sure they had a little bit of extra prep time, you know, for those special teams. Maybe you put something special in, maybe you do something a little bit differently. You work on the things though that you've been struggling with. And that's where is the big question mark with USC. How much did they do to work on what has been struggling with them? With the now one of the things I will say is uh, coach Chad Kay, the defensive line coach, told me that, hey, I talked to some other coaches you know, outside that I've worked with before and stuff to get some ideas on how the defense as a whole could defend against those perimeter runs. You know, it's something that has been bugging USC for, you know, the first five games, especially when they have four down linemen. Yeah. There's been a lot of runs that have been able to get outside. So what can they do when they have four down linemen? That that's something that they you know that they worked on. That they, they implemented some of the stuff that he got from other coaches. He said so that's something that maybe we'll look for. You know that's that's the time to do it is to reach out, try to find something yeah. different. You know yeah, maybe you're stuck in your routine. You know when you're week by week by week when you have a bye week that's an opportunity to do some things different. And if that means looking outside of the box and looking outside of you know your own organization for some ideas. That's a great thing to do. I think that was a big positive, him saying that. And, you know, we'll see if it translates on the field. That'll be a big question. Uh, But I I thought that they – again, I thought that there were things that they did that were positive. But still, the big overarching thing from their practices for the last, what, three years, four years is are they being physical enough? During the practices to prepare them for the games, and that's been a big question mark. So we obviously we don't get to watch anymore to, to give you a full report, but we can't tell you. Yeah, you can't give you a full report, but maybe it they're full like on tackling,
2: and we just don't know.
3: If they're not in full pads, then it's not quite the same. Yeah,
1: true. Uh, guy on Facebook had a funny comment. He said, "To use a food analogy, the team fasted this week." <laughs> nice one. Hey, guys. guy, nice.
2: Nice one. But guy, then. make sure you jump in and get that that uh, dollar deal for two months. Wow, you just
1: got put on the spot there, guy. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, Spider, I'll take care
2: of that. Spider
3: wanted to ask about. You said that Ohio State was tackling in a safe way. Can you explain what, what you mean by a safe way?
2: So I definitely go. If you're not a, a member of the athletic, you can go check that out. But Bruce Feldman writes for them. A lot of great. They have a lot of great writers. They have good stuff in there. And so I think it was more of like kind of a scientific approach of what they were doing. That sometimes it's tackling like the um like a walk on that's playing the quarterback position for the scout team. But they're making sure they're doing tackling. It's not necessarily you're starting uh, outside linebacker tackling, you're starting running back to the ground on every play. It's not stuff like that. So they're trying to do things in a more controlled way. So they'll do a lot of seven on seven and have special periods or a special period where for you know, several minutes they will allow tackling. So it might be a ones versus twos sort of thing. They, they kind of mix that up a little bit. But there's, it's an interesting article, but they're doing it there. They know you can't, not do it so you have to try to find out a way to do it so instead of saying you know what tackling is dangerous we're not going to do it you tackle in games. so they needed to do something and i thought their approach is interesting now everyone there's a lot of different approach i think clemson has a similar approach to usc where they don't do a lot of that uh at least from what i've read i haven't you know checked them out but you know we know places like georgia and alabama and ohio state they're doing a lot of physical physical work in Practice and sometimes you get hurt, you know. Uh, Alabama lost their starting, I think it was a middle linebacker, Dylan Moses. Yeah, so in the beginning of the season, but I, I, you obviously that pays dividends where you see how physical they are in games. But Ohio State had a different approach and uh, it's it seemed to work really well. They've approved improved a lot of their numbers.
1: Guy said that he's going to take advantage of the deal, so well done, Ryan. Thanks,
2: Guy. Yeah, appreciate and Email me, make sure, you know. What? Just for Guy, I'll get. I'm gonna add an extra month to Guy. So, Guy. Wow. You do, yeah.
1: There you go. So, Make if, a anyone joke. that signs
2: up here, yeah, if you sign up. Let me know. Email me if you did sign up during Tunnel Vision during this hour or so. Email me and I'll add a month to any of you guys. So how's wow, that? Wow,
1: look at that. So that's my own deal. Wow,
2: the Adding Ryan. On to it, the yeah. Ryan
1: special. There you go. You can't I can, I can not take advantage yeah. of this deal.
2: I've been doing this a long time, so they'll let me do what I want. So that's okay. <laughs> flex on them, <laughs>
1: Ryan. Flex on them. Yeah. Um, But looking ahead to Notre Dame, I know we already did, what stands out to you about this Notre Dame team, besides maybe the physicality that we talked about?
2: Yeah, it's so we're going to have a preview podcast. Uh, I'll get uh, Tim O'Malley, who does a great job covering the Fighting Irish for Irish Illustrated. We'll have him on this week, and we'll also have him as a a section of the uh, Peristyle pregame show. Um, This is a, you know, they're number nine in the AP poll, number 10 um, in the coaches poll, they do have that close loss on the road to Georgia. I think they've handled business. They beat a ranked Virginia team, doubled up their score, or whatever. They've they've this is a solid-looking team. I would venture to say, especially looking at what I've seen from the rest of the Pac-12, which we'll talk about in a bit, um, this is probably the best team on USC schedule. So, Remaining. I don't yeah. Or I mean on oh, total. Total. I would think I think they're better than Utah. I think they're better than Washington. I mean, Washington's already got two Pac-12 uh losses. I to me this is a more complete team. Uh Ian Book had five touchdowns last week. I think it was the player of the game for the first time. He's been the starter for like a year and a half now. And uh I, I think Brian Kelly was like, we don't know what to do when we don't have a quarterback competition. There's usually always something. So they they had their backup come in and, and look good I guess in the uh, second half of the the bowling green game. But you know Book's been a you know solid play. This is a a real solid team that I think they have talent all over the place. And I don't think USC, the way USC played against Utah and got a win is kind of baffling. Like you wouldn't get that win against um, Notre Dame. The way you played against Washington, I don't think you would be within two touchdowns. So USC is going to have to play, for me, they're going to have to play their best game of the season um, to have some kind of chance here. But this is, to me, it's a real team.
3: Uh, I mean, it's the best team because it's the team that's in the top 10. None of the other teams on their schedule are but the I mean,
2: Utah was at the time but the you know the
3: game they played against Utah they won because of turnovers the game yeah. they lost against Washington they were lost because of turnovers Notre Dame's really good at causing yeah. turnovers you know they're i think it was second in the country they're second in the country in turnover margin they're ter- third in turnover gained they're eighth in turnovers lost so they yeah. they've only given the ball away four times they've taken it away 14 times USC on the other hand N- not not so good. You know, they actually improved a little bit as far as their rankings went because they didn't play during this week. Yeah, during the bye week. week. Yeah, the bye week cause I guess other teams they didn't turned turn the ball, the ball over. over in the bye week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one positive of the bye week. You know, that they're 122nd out of 130 teams. So they're in the top they're in the bottom ten as yeah. far as turnover margin and uh, turnovers lost. You know, they've lost the ball 13 times. They've only taken the ball away six times. Now taking the ball away six times is an improvement from last year. Yeah. If They've got six turnovers in five games. That's an improvement. I believe they were around one or even below one last season. So they've improved in that that regard, but they've been put in some really bad situations. Uh, by the offense with some of the turnovers they've had. Now, the defense, when they've gotten turnovers, they've been really crucial turnovers, like in the Utah game, you know, right at the goal line. And even plays that aren't turnovers, you know, being able to force some field goals down there have been really big. So defense has done their job on that side of it. The offense has to take care of the ball better. Yeah. You know, they've thrown the ball to the opposing team. They're 125th out of 130 in passes intercepted. So they have to take care of the ball better. Big question is, who will be the starting quarterback in Notre Dame? If Keaton Slovis is healthy, he, we expect he will be the yeah. starter. You know, he was not cleared for contact as of Wednesday when we talked to Clay Helton. So we, we won't get an update until this Tuesday to, to find out for sure. But you would think that he's, you know, he was still practicing. So you would think he's progressing towards that. So you expect him to be back. And you know, what kind of different things is Notre Dame going to do to try to confuse a freshman quarterback? And they've got some unique defensive playmakers. Julian Akora uh, uh, coming off the edge is is a really good defensive lineman. Yeah. that's going to give their offense line trouble. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to find his name again, but Jeremiah Owosu Okoromoa, he's going to play nickel for them. He's kind of been a safety. He's been in the box. He's kind of you know kind of the rover position. Yeah, yeah,
2: he's. Kind of all over the place. He's too. all
3: over the place, and he was really good in that Georgia game. You know, he did some things that are a lot different than you. You even the way USC uses their safeties, and they've got really talented safeties too. Um, so, that's a guy they're going to keep an eye out on. You know, I think the Notre Dame defense is is much better than maybe anticipated, because uh, they've got guys that can be stars at all three levels. I think all levels. Yeah,
2: they got this and, potential.
3: And that's been the biggest difference from you know what they when they you know expected to get blown out by Georgia and their two touchdown you know underdogs in that game to being right in that game, leading at halftime, I think it's the defense. And they like Keeley said, they're really physical up front in the run game. That's going to be important for USC to lock that up too if they want to try to get an upset. But it all starts with turnovers. If, you, yeah. if they turn the ball over, they've got no chance in this game.
2: Uh, Brian Kelly also went full Lou Holtz this week. I think it was earlier today. Cool. Uh, so the quote – I think uh, Pete Sampson tweeted this out, so I give him credit on uh, – uh, for covering Notre Dame, he said. Brian Kelly says USC's defense is perhaps the best he's faced in the series during his ten years at Notre Dame. So,
1: so since two thousand nine.
2: Is this the best USC defense?
3: I don't know. No, it's not. Leonard Williams in the middle was better, but yeah. that defense in the front is really good. Mm-hmm. Now, eventually, all the players on this defense—if you take took them—if you added them to this USC defense as their as complete college players after their four years, then yeah, maybe, you know, there's, they might be the most talent on this defense than they've had on some other defenses. You know, there's no real like areas of, a big weakness like that. There's just, you know, a talent gap in that one position or yeah. two positions. Whereas there's kind of been that throughout the, you know, you would have a guy that's, you know, is playing well, but he's not the most talented guy. You know, that defensive front is really, really good. That secondary can be really, really good by the time it's done. You know, it's all four- and five-star guys back there playing right now. And they're playing really well for the fact yeah. that, you know, we came into the season going,
2: it ah, might be a big right. issue. Yeah. And Especially so far, that Washington game, to be beat up like that and play yeah, as well exactly. as they did.
1: Yeah.
2: It's good. A uh, couple other little quick facts. Notre Dame now ranks top 15 nationally in scoring offense, so 41 points a game. And scoring defense, giving up 14.8 points a game. They've only given up 74 points all year. Um, so they're, they're up there with the likes of – Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Georgia. So only two teams that are in the top 15 uh, for both. And one of the interesting things, and we talked about this before, um, you know, Shotgun mentioned the the turnover stuff where Notre Dame's really good at it. USC's not so good at it. But um, one of the things to watch is explosive plays because Notre Dame is actually 118th in plays run. So they only run 62.4 plays per game. But they're top 10 nationally, 7.2 yards per play. So it's a pretty explosive offense, even though they're not running that many plays. So USC hasn't been running that many plays either. So it'll be interesting to see, can they stop the explosive explosive plays from Notre Dame and kind of force force them to run more plays by having longer drives and getting a bunch of first downs as opposed to giving up like a big play, the third or fourth play into their drive.
3: And USC has been explosive when they've had H-back in. You know, they're averaging over eight yards a, a play with uh, with the H-back so far this season. So there's an opportunity for them to be explosive. Just
2: full-on H-back the whole time.
3: <laughs> I mean, Eric Hook's done a really good job in that. You know, yeah. and that's been he's been a lead blocker in different times. You know, it, it they've done well with the passing because they can keep him in as an extra blocker if they need to or go and play action there. So uh, I, I think that's. That's why the H-back spot has been, or using an H-back. Now, this is not just any time a tight end's on the, on the field. It's when they're lined up in the backfield yeah. as a pseudo tight end slash fullback. You know, it's a unique position, and I think that they've done really well with that. There's some, there's some ways USC can utilize not only the H-back, but all their weapons in this game. One of the things, though, to keep an eye on is Notre Dame's defense has been really good at making adjustments. If you, remember, if you watched any of the, I think it was Louisville game, Louisville was torching them with the quick option game. They made an adjustment after the first couple drives and basically Fixed shut them it, down yeah. <laughs> the entire rest of the game, their entire offense. Georgia, you know, there were adjustments made back and forth in that game. between. The, that was a really fun game to watch X's and O's wise, just the adjustments back and forth between the two teams. Um, so you saw that. They were playing – I think it was they were playing their safeties really deep to begin with, and Alohi Gilman was doing a great job of, of charging up and helping out in the run game to shut down Georgia's run game. And then, then Georgia did some things, split out some guys to, to alleviate that a little bit, and that kind of opened some things up for them in the second half. So I, that's one of the things to keep an eye on. USC, if they have some success early – can they adjust along with Notre Dame at the same, uh, you know, rate as them to be able to continue to have success? Or if they struggle early, can they make the adjustments and, and continue to 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 find ways to to get some yardage out there?
2: And one the quick thing, real we're, uh, quick thing, Keely, Sorry about yeah. that. Yes. I know you're going to say something. So, yeah. if you want to sign up for the VIP membership, you get the, the two months for a buck. And I said, I'll throw an extra one in there. You get a lot of the stuff that Shotgun's talking about. Check out his analysis after the games when he watches every play. He'll tell you which formations are working, which ones aren't, when it's better to have different players on the field. And then the film breakdown is awesome, too. Um, So him and Keely go together, do that, like, 20 minutes of breaking down the biggest plays. And you'll see what's going on behind each play. So those are great stuff. That's all VIP content.
1: Yeah. Be and you'll get all that. You'll yeah. be an informed fan when you look at that content. Definitely check stuff. it out, yeah. There's a lot of time and effort from Shotgun there, so props to him. Uh, before we go into calls, because we have a full call queue. Yeah, nice. I just wanted to uh, talk about the Pac-12. Uh, I think John Wilner tweeted like three weeks ago, like there's nothing the Pac-12 does better than eating itself, <laughs> and that essentially has continued each week. Uh, Arizona beat Ca- or Colorado. Oregon took Care of business against Cal but then uh, uh Washington lost to Stanford on the road. Interesting little thing there. The transitive property in college football is always interesting, but especially in the Pac-12. So like what does it mean that USC beat Stanford but UW loses to, so you know what I mean? What did you take away from the Pac-12 games this weekend? It's
2: crazy. I mean, I you know, I got to watch a bunch of those and it just, you know, Washington's dropping out of the AP top 25, which is crazy, uh mm-hmm. doing that, losing, you know, you can't lose to Stanford. We've seen Stanford. You saw what USC did to Stanford, Washington didn't really impress me that much last week when they beat USC, and they kind of showed it against Stanford. And Stanford came out, had a gutty performance. They were down to their third-string quarterback, too, in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Davis Mills had to end up starting that game. Um, but they played they played better, but it just wasn't – I don't think it was some great effort by Stanford, but they Washington kind of let Stanford play Stanford's game, which they haven't done that well of. Even the week before, Stanford should have lost to Oregon State. Oregon State completely outplayed them. Uh, then Oregon State goes into the Rose Bowl and absolutely decimates UCLA, which is insane. Really? It's like, what does that say about Washington State? It's just it's yeah. crazy. Like, who's good? It doesn't look like <laughs> anybody's good. You have Oregon's number 13, Utah's number 15, and ASU's number 18. Arizona might be better than all of them. They're 4-1. They lost to... To Hawaii, but they they have a good win over Texas Tech. Cal has maybe the best win on the road at Old Miss. Um, you know, they maybe have the best conference win where they beat Washington uh on the road too. So but Cal loses their quarterback and then they look like absolute crap. I mean, if they had a quarterback, I think they beat Oregon uh this past weekend. Oregon didn't do very much against that Cal defense. And Shock and I were talking about it before. Justin Herbert, I mean, he's a great prospect, but when you're sitting back there, and it's third and eight. I don't really have a lot of confidence that he's going to find the guy and 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 you know move. It. He has to. It seems like he has to be on schedule, not like put him in third and 12, third and eight, something like that, and just make him have him make a throw and pick up the first down. Not like he can't do it, but I just haven't seen that done consistently. They turned the ball over the first three times they touched the ball against Cal. So I don't know. I mean, it's just it's a mess in the Pac-12. Uh, if you look, if you're looking for an easy win in the South. I don't know if you're going to get it because Colorado's feisty. Um, Arizona,
3: they're playing without Laviska right now. Yeah,
2: and they're still scoring points. You know, uh, ASU's good. Uh, they got a good win against Michigan State. Um, Arizona's good, like I said. Like there's, there's no one that you can you can overlook except maybe UCLA. But we saw them, you know, come back from 32 down in the second half against Washington State. So I, I mean, who knows in the Pac-12?
3: One of the biggest things about the big Pac-12 right now is the injuries at quarterback. You know, there. I think it's at least half the teams. I, I, mean, I think it's uh, you know two thirds of the teams, or you know three fourths of the teams. It's it's ridiculous how many teams have dealt with a quarterback injury. And the teams you mentioned that are at the top, Oregon has not, Arizona State has not, and uh, Utah has not. Those yeah. are the three teams that have have. Sustain without one. Now Washington should be much better. I don't know why. Yeah, I didn't get to watch as much of the Stanford game. It was on in the background, but um, you know they should be much better. I really like Jacob Eason, and maybe they're not protecting him well enough to give him the time. He's a guy again that you know if he gets off schedule, he's not as good either. Same thing as Herbert. Um, but you look at the injuries USC's had. Khalil Tate's missed a game. Dorian Thompson Robinson missed one for UCLA. Obviously, Cal losing Chase Garbers was huge because Monster's just not very good behind oh, him. he's terrible. Um, so there, there's just been the quarterback injuries have really affected teams so far. You know, I think if JT Daniels was playing, I think that USC probably wins that Washington game just because his skill set fits much better with what Washington was trying to take away from USC. He's, he can move the ball a lot better um, than having to need the big play all the time. And that was what he was so good at during the fall that, you know, won him a job. So I thought if he was around, they probably could have won that game. It was just, and do you trust him versus a true freshman on the road at BYU making his first start? Yes. Um, So the the injuries have really affected the Pac-12 South in particular, but the the conference overall, you you don't necessarily see, you know, as Tua Tagovailoa has not gone down, you know. The guys that that are the big names around, Jalen Hurts is still perfectly fine. Like, if those guys go down, you might see something a lot different from some of those big-time teams. And I think that's had a big impact on the Pac-12. Not that they're on the same level as any of those teams, but – when you lose your starting quarterback, it is a
2: big thing to deal with in college football. Yeah, you're already behind in the race, and then you just lost a wheel or two. It's like you're, 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 <laughs> it's not like you were way out ahead and you lost the wheel, and now you're losing. Like you were already behind, and then you know you hit the banana peel yeah, on the Mario Yeah, the <laughs> chances of the Pac-12 making the playoff this year are pretty slim right
1: now. Very true. All let's go to calls. Let's Thanks to it. everyone who's been waiting in the queue. Let's go to our first caller. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision.
0: Hey, how you guys doing, man? Really enjoy the show. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, so I was looking at some stats, and it only went back to 2003, but it's been 17 years. Um, there's only been two years where USC averaged fewer points per game. 09 with the Pete last year, and then obviously last year, uh, the first year without Sam. And USC in the red zone under uh, Clay Helton is only 78% in the red zone. I feel like it's kind of hard to do because they've had some pretty good field goal kickers. So, I guess my question is, how much do they work on red zone stuff? Um, You guys talked about turnovers earlier. It seems like this year a lot of red zone turnovers have plagued the team. Um, So, just red zone stuff, man, it, it seems like it's been a big issue with the offense this year. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, good stats there. And I, that's something they work on. I mean, that's like regular periods. They do red zone stuff quite a bit. Even so it's not days. Like they,
1: they would devote days. Like Clay Hilton would yeah. be like, We worked on red zone all day today, so it's not
3: but it's not like they're just not producing in the red zone. Uh, or you know, it's, it's not like they're they're just getting the they're not getting any yards in there. It's the turnovers. they are killing it. Yeah. yeah. Because if all those turnovers came on the twenty one yard line, their red zone numbers would look fine. But they're getting down in the red zone and then turning over, which is the worst place to turn the ball over, obviously. Um, but that has been the biggest issue, and part of it is you have two very inexperienced quarterbacks that have thrown three interceptions in two games, multiple ones at the goal line. So that is is having a big impact on that. It's also impacting the points per game too. I don't, I'm not as concerned about it. It's only halfway through the season. There's some worse defenses coming up that may boost that you know yards uh, or points per game number back up. You take the Utah, I mean, you take the Washington game, like it dropped theirs, I think, six points or something, five or six points. So that's how th- quickly things can change, especially before you even get to the halfway point of the season. Whereas if you go up against you know, Colorado and you have a shootout, or you go against Arizona and you put 35, 40 points up suddenly those numbers are boosted back up. Yeah. So I'm not really concerned about that. The bigger issue is just the turnovers in the red zone and what it's doing, maybe even to the confidence of the team. You know, Because the thing is, when you get to the red zone, everything shrinks up. You don't have that deep threat to kind of opening up those intermediate routes or anything like that. Everything's compacted, and that's when your decision-making has to be better. You have to be smarter. You have to be quicker with your decision-making. And that's when you see even more times when you see young quarterbacks struggle.
1: Alrighty, thanks for the call. We love an informed caller. Thanks for the stats, too. Yeah, Fun stuff there. Uh, let's go to our next caller.
4: Hello, you're live on TunnelVision. Uh, yes, okay, so you're following an informed caller with an uninformed caller. So two questions. <laughs> One, right. the point spread came out at 10.5, which seems a little generous. But the real question I want to ask is, having been at the note. Notre Notre Dame game two years ago, the fan base there is intense compared to like Utah and Rude from Washington or Wazoo. So the question is, which quarterback do you feel is mature enough to handle the crazy Fighting Irish fans? And they are crazy. Every seat is filled and they're a force to be reckoned with.
2: Before you go, uh, what's your name and where are you calling from?
4: Uh, it's Pete, and it's from Laguna Beach. And I just got to say, I was ordering a pizza right when you put me through, and the cost of a pizza is so much more expensive than the cost of following you guys, especially the special you have going on now. <laughs> so I say everybody should do it, and if it doesn't work out for them, I'll refund them. Wow, wow. Pete,
2: thanks. Well done. The... Very cool. Thanks for the call.
4: Pete, you sound very uh feminine there.
1: Oh, I muted her, oh, okay. um
2: So, yeah, the point spread came out, I think, ten. I think it's 11 now, the last I saw. Um, Pete thinks it's a little generous. I don't know. Uh, USC is not great at covering spreads. It did a couple of times early on. Uh, you, you lose on the road by 14 to Washington. I, If you're going to, you know, no transit property, but you think it would probably be a little bit worse. Um, yeah, but that's interesting points, but I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on it. I mean, it's a lot of points, you know. It's a rivalry game, you know.
3: Those are always make the point spreads more difficult to kind of judge, just because everyone's fired up, you know. And especially this is a unique rivalry where you have to travel halfway across the country, but USC's playing on the road, so I can see why the point spread is as big as it is. But the thing that always makes you pause before you would bet USC or bet against USC, I would think, is just there's so much
2: talent still yeah, on the roster. They could come out and play well. You just don't know.
3: You know, even when you have a quarterback go down, Matt Fink comes in and throws three touchdowns at 351 yards. Like th- those type of things happen because USC still has talent. Yeah. Now, can they put that talent in the right place? Can they can they help them create uh, you know, create the best opportunities for them? That's that's the big question and that's something that we've you know, has been a big question mark with this coaching staff overall.
2: Yeah, and as far as the quarterback stuff goes, you mentioned some great environments. Like Utah, amazing environment there. Washington yeah. just saw that recently. Even Washington State, it's a pretty fun place to, uh, you know, little stadium and stuff. I mean, there's some cool places. Obviously, Notre Dame, none of those places have the history, the tradition, uh, all that stuff kind of going into it. That's such a big rivalry. They they really get into this game where the bands are and all the kind of stuff. So it's, it's really fun. I think you're probably better off with Keaton Slovis as the quarterback than Matt Fink if he's if he's healthy. I think mostly just because the coaches have confidence in him. I think either guy could go in there and do well. But, you, you know, it's very similar as far as their experience goes. It's not like one, you know, Matt Fink's been around the program more. But as far as, you know, games played, uh, you know, time under center or behind center, I guess you could say in this case because they're never under center. Uh, it's about the same. But I, I think the coaches have more confidence in, in Slovis at this point, and that's probably where they'll go if he's healthy. They both have about the same amount of experience. Yeah. So yeah.
3: they both started a game on the road. They both struggled on the road. You know, it could be either one of them. You know, it's just whoever's the most talented and you think can give you your offense the best opportunity to move, I think, more than the atmosphere itself.
1: All Thank you for the call. Let's go to our next caller in the queue who's been waiting for a while. Thank you for that. You are live on Tunnel Vision. Hello.
5: Hey, guys. It's uh, Richard from Utah. And my question is, So a couple days ago, I don't know if you guys read about it, but Mark May had made a statement about Urban Meyer. And he believes with absolute certainty that he's going to be USC's next head coach, I think because of him not going to ESPN, which is closer to where he lives or closer to Ohio, and flew out to Fox. And the fact that he's like there in L.A. and he's kind of waiting around for, uh, I guess, for the dumpster fire to be put out here in L.A. And I just want to know your, your guys' thoughts behind that on Urban Meyer.
2: Yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, I think it was on some podcast or something. I, I mean, Mark May, to my knowledge, isn't really doing much in college football anymore. It's not someone I would trust as far as that goes. I think it's more of a hunch than anything. Um, the landscape in college football has changed. Fox wasn't as big of a player when Urban Meyer was doing this before, and now they are. Uh, they've gone after some bigger, newer names. So I, I'm not saying, you know, I don't know if he had an offer from ESPN, but I, Fox wouldn't have gone after him then. They did now. Um, so it's a unique opportunity for him to be like a main studio analyst. I don't think he would have been able to do that at ESPN. So I, I think that's a lot reading into this. I'm not saying, you know, I think he'd be the, the home run hire, but I wouldn't like put a lot of stock into what Mark May say. saying.
3: I think it was a much better opportunity from Fox than it was ESPN. Um, he probably would have been in the spot where Jim Mora is, you know, he probably would have got that job over Jim Mora and Jim Mora is just in a college football countdown or college football final, you know, yeah. studio spot, which I've seen him twice this season that That tells you how much, you know, he's on. It's not like he's the, the top guy on there. Whereas urban is the top guy as far as the coaching former coach position, uh, that they have on their pregame show and stuff. So.
2: Yeah, and he's really good. Urban's really good at what he does. So yeah. he comes in as, as a great analyst.
3: But no one's overtaking Corso for the former coach spot. No. Not. On the pregame show for yeah. ESPN. So.
1: All right, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Let's go to one more call we got in the queue. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
3: Hey.
0: Hey, this is uh, Dennis calling in from Los Angeles. I have a question hey, Dennis. about uh, recruiting. i looked at the list. Of uh, top 10 recruits in California and not one committed to FC with the urban Meyer hire. Would that change or are any of those guys early commit and they're pretty much lost for this 2020 class?
2: The, hey Dennis, look at the top 20 because there's none in there either. Of the, uh, the top 20 players that are committed
3: in the state of California or even Southern California, I think it was, there's one of the kids that have committed so far. There's one that is committed to USC or UCLA That's Joshua Jackson, Jr., the wide receiver from Narbonne. I wrote a story about this for the LA Times last week when Bryce Young flipped his commitment. Obviously, there's two things that can redeem this USC recruiting class. Winning. Win. Yeah. One out. Go beat Notre Dame. Go beat Oregon. And then that changes. That changes things. Or if there's a coaching change, then – there will be some kind of change. You know, you don't know exactly how it would shake out. It would depend on who's hired, what relationships they have with players, you know, those type of things. And when
2: they're hired because of the early signing period. Uh, But there's no job opening right now. Right. So So the best chance for USC to turn the – this is the worst recruiting – I've been covering this team since 96. Uh, We've had, like, real recruiting rankings since, like, 2000 or so. This is definitely the worst class in October that I've ever seen. Um, as far as the you know the, the star rankings and stuff, it's just there's not an impact player at all uh, that's committed to USC. The one guy you had was Bryce Young, and he's now committed to Alabama. So it's mostly because the, the team's in limbo. You're just not sure what's going to happen. It sort of was in limbo last year. Keep the staff, and now it's you know kind of in limbo again. So USC goes out and beats Notre Dame and starts winning a bunch of games. Then I think you can get in on some. These players will say, oh, okay, this staff is sticking around. You don't then it'll probably take a coaching change.
3: Yeah, just looking at as far as impact players, we I mean, guys are going to come in immediately and play. It just doesn't seem like there, there's any guys. That, now there's some quality guys that I think down the road, the offensive lineman class are really going after but it's, Developmental guys to an extent, yeah. Guys that are going to have to put on some weight, going to have to get a little bit stronger before they're ready to contribute, and they're not going to be asked to next year. The offensive lineman, because you got most of your offensive line coming back. Same thing with the defensive lineman. Jamar Siconas is a guy that could potentially, you know, be a player down the road for him, but he's not going to come in and make an immediate impact. You know, you don't have necessarily that guy. I didn't know that there was going to be that guy in this this past class, except for Drake Jackson. Yeah, and Drake Jackson obviously has been. And because the big question was, you didn't know you were going to get Brew McCoy. You didn't know that Chris Steele was coming back. Those two guys, you know, Chris Steele is already making a positive impact. He's been thrown at 12 times this season. He's given up four completions for, I think, like 71 yards. 52 of that came in the Fresno State game. You know, one big completion. Otherwise, he's you know, three of 11 teams throwing against him. And he
2: started, what, the last last two two games? games? Yeah, Yeah.
3: because of injuries to other guys. So he's been an immediate impact guy, you know, Uh, Drake London's been out there and has been the fourth receiver. So there's been a couple guys that have kind of worked their way in. But right now, looking at that recruiting class that is committed currently, it's just not there in the 2020 class.
2: No, even like a guy like Max Williams, you didn't think was going to be contributing, and he, you know, also because of the injury. Yeah, he has a sack, he forces a fumble. Um, So like, you know, last year's class was the worst ranked one we've seen for a while, but got a boost by getting Chris Steele back and getting Brew McCoy back. You could say they're part of that class, and then you know some impact players like a Drake Jackson is just, you know, he's been absolutely killing it out there.
1: Yep. Alrighty. Thanks for the call. Uh, we'll get back to calls in a second. The queue's already filling up, uh, but we'll get back to that soon. Cause we have a lot of questions, comments in our uh, Facebook and YouTube and Periscope. I'm sure. Let's first go to uh, Herman on YouTube. Who says, who's the best recruiter recruiter on the current coaching staff?
2: Oh, interesting question. Who would
3: you, I mean, historically, Johnny Nansen's probably brought in the most guys yeah. to USC uh, of the, you guys that have come in recently, uh, Chad Kay and Greg really Burns, good, yeah. both of those guys have done a really good job yeah. You know, uh, with the limited time that they had last uh, recruiting cycle. Um, so th- that's probably the, the start of it. Everyone talks about they love Clay Helton. All recruits talk Clay Helton is a guy they love. Now, mm-hmm. if Clay Helton were winning, they would love him even more. Yes. They would love the school. But he's a guy that, that does really well with players and with their families so he's actually a guy that's up that list too yeah
1: yep um, new zoo guru says where is Jude Wolf Croman Hook is not a pure pass catcher you're actually gonna see more of Jude wolf going into the Notre Dame Notre Dame game because uh, Clay Hilton said that uh, Josh follow has an MCL sprain so they're Easing him, they're they're letting him rest during this bye week. We'll see what happens uh, this upcoming week. But he did say that Jude Wolf will get more time, which is interesting because we haven't seen much of him just because Follow and Croman Hook have been getting the majority of those reps. So,
3: and he's a guy that uh, I talked with John Baxter and said that he's a guy that he's wanted to try to work in a little bit, but you know, just hasn't been a ton of two tight end opportunities or anything. And you know, Cromin Hook's doing a really good job as far as blocking. No, he's not a true pass catcher, and that's why when they split him out. You know, when they try to go four wide, usually they bring in Drake London instead. You know, if they want a tight end in, they'll keep a tight end in. If they want a wide receiver in, they'll bring a wide receiver in. Um, so I think that tells you where they where Hook lies. But I think he's taking such a big jump in his he's, game from last year to this year. Uh, and he and Follow yeah. is even playing much better. You know, the last couple games. Um, obviously, he gets hurt on the catch that he made against Washington. He's going to be out for a little while. So Jude Wolf is a guy is the next guy up, and he's going to have to step up and play some. You know. Yeah. Josh Fowler is not playing a ton of snaps, but Jude Wolf is going to step in and hey, he might get five, he might get 10 snaps in a game. What do you do with those five or 10 snaps? Do you earn five or 10 more? Yep. We'll see.
1: We shall see indeed. Let's go to a Facebook comment from Sean. He says, Why is it that some, why is it someone that was on Pete Carroll's staff, Yogi Roth, disagrees with a lot of what you guys are saying? The sky's not falling and, and it's not like it all is horrible. He did a great piece on the Pac 12 about this.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, Yogi's a, just a positive guy by nature. I mean, that's that's the way he is. He's going to tell you, hey, man, they won the Rose Bowl and they won the Pac-12. I mean, you get that. We've said those things. You understand those things. But when you look at this team, do you say, okay, the way that this is where the talent is and this is where it's performed? I think coming off a five and seven season last year, there's really no margin for error. If you have a third string quarterback in there, sorry, but you were five and seven last year. There's no, you You had to fix it all this year and make things better. So that's just my personal opinion. Everyone's going to have a different opinion. Keely think a little bit differently. Shaka will think a little bit differently. Yogi definitely has a different uh, view on that. And that's fine. And and we've seen Kirk Herbstreit on college game day uh, really defend Clay Elton and say that, you know, he deserves more time and things like that. that I mean, that's, that's fine. There's their opinions. I mean, to me... We watch this team all the time. We see them every day. And do you feel like if you had, like, a, a different coach in there, would the results have been different last year? And Would they be different this year? Would you have lost to BYU on the road? I, I tend to think yes. You know, we're not right about everything all the time. But, you know, we definitely have a different opinion than – and I love Yogi, but I have a different opinion than him for sure on uh, this team. And Yogi's also employed by the Pac-12, so he's going to promote the Pac-12 as much as yeah. possible. Which means you play up the teams? Yeah. He plays up the Oregon State UCLA game. It's going to be this awesome matchup, which I think is an awesome matchup, too, because you're going to see who's the bottom of the Pac 12, but for different reasons. Like Yogi's actually going to look for. So he's, yeah, he's definitely a promoter of the Pac 12. And, you know, some of those guys, if you talk to Pete Arbogast, who's the, the voice of the Trojans, love Pete. You know, he works for USC. His philosophy is, I'm going to support whoever the USC coach is until he isn't. And that's fine. You work there. I mean, he's not going to be one that says, hey, this, is, this guy isn't getting it done. They need to move on. And Yogi's really not going to do that either. I mean, even, you know, he's not going to say that about Chip Kelly if he goes 1-11 uh, two years in a row. Like, that's just not Yogi's personality, and that's really not his job. I mean, it's part of the Pac-12. They're trying to talk up how a Pac-12 team can make the playoff, which is really a long shot. But those are the kind of things that they're, they're saying. They really want to pump up the Pac-12, and you want to say positive things. And so that's probably why some of the opinions are a little bit different.
1: Yep, makes sense. Uh, Dennis on YouTube says, "I have a question. Why do they throw slants to Pittman on the goal line instead of lobbing it up for him to catch?"
3: I mean, it's a good question. You know, yep. the, he's a big body, he's good at going up and getting the jump balls. However, they've had success with the slants too. You know, you had Tyler Vaughn's open on the play where they threw it to Drake London. That was a slant they they could have had a touchdown on. The first touchdown for Michael Pittman in the BYU game was a slant. Yeah, there was also a, a pass. One of the, I think the one that was taken away, I believe, was a slant as, way, uh, as well. When there was a penalty against Stanford uh, for Pittman, so he's such a dynamic receiver that the DBs have to be aware of that fade pass. You know, they have to be concerned about it, and they've thrown the fade to him a couple of times. The touchdown, the second touchdown against BYU was a fade pass. You know the. Almost touchdown against Stanford, I think it was, where, or Stanford or Utah, where he caught the ball and his, his foot was out of bounds. That was also, you know, a famous. So he's a dynamic receiver, and when guys are really good at jump balls, you know what that opens up? The slant pass. Yeah. Because you're playing that outside shoulder, you don't want him to get outside of you and have that leverage. Now you can open up the inside. They just got to do a better job, the quarterbacks do, of reading. The short you got to read short to long on those situations. If you're break, throwing an in-breaking route right there, you got to read the guy in front first. You right. can't read the back end guy and say, well, he's open because that guy's playing behind him. No, you got to read the front yeah. guy first before you ever get to the second one. Yeah.
2: Sometimes he's playing behind him, but then that linebacker or safety or nickel or whatever cuts in front. We've seen that happen a few times this year already.
1: Yep. Let's go to a Facebook question specifically for you, Ryan. It's from Blaze. Ooh. He says, what's your opinion on Graham Harrell's offense so far? Is USC scoring more points than last season?
2: Blaze. Yeah, I think, I think 29 points. It's like up about three points a game. And Chuck pointed out that, you know, you take away the Washington game. that was up in the 30s. Uh, it's definitely not as good as I expected to be. I expected it to be 10 points better. Um, now, getting JT Daniels hurt in the very first game probably doesn't help. uh but like i said at this point when you have the kind of receiver talent usc has uh there's great white there's great running backs um i I think there's a lot of talent on this offense it's better it's better than last year but there's been some i mean there's definitely been some deficiencies and you know part of it is with the the quarterbacks getting hurt and having different guys start there have been a lot of turnovers um i think it's you know there's a lot i think put on graham Harrell's shoulders to put in there but you can argue like Jimmy Lake really just out them up there and kind of you know, had one step ahead of what Graham was doing. They moved things around. Definitely check out Shotgun's film study. You can kind of see the number of guys that Washington was putting in the box and where USC was taking advantage of it and then where sometimes they could have and didn't. Um, so I think it's a lot. I mean, Graham Harrell's been going from like the small school where they did really good things to really on a much bigger stage and everything's magnified because of the five and seven last year that he didn't yeah. have anything to do with. Yeah. So I think all of that's kind of part of it. It's not as good as I thought it would be, uh, but I think it's better than than what you saw last year. Yep. Sports talk with Troy said we
3: have three really good running backs. If we trust them more, it will open up our passing game, which is absolutely correct. Yes. Especially if a team's going to play, you know, with five in on the box, like Washington did a lot of, you know, run it, run it, run it. And then you saw, and this is something we pointed out in the film study that, When you start running the ball and you get some chunk gains, you know you get a 60-yard run. That changes things a lot. But you get a couple of 10- or 12-yard runs. Suddenly, those safeties start peaking. And you start looking, and the touchdown pass to Michael Pittman was a play-action fake where the safety's eyes were inside. He's looking at the quarterback the entire time. And then when he turns to get his eyes back, he probably had the thought to go through his head, "Oh crap! Right, I'm in trouble." Because Michael Pittman was right on him. By the time he turns around, you know, to run with him, he already had beat him by a There's couple no steps. Way. Yeah. So that's what happens when you run the ball first, and that's something that the offense has to do. They have to run the ball consistently early in the game, and it can open up the pass. You can. It works the other way too. You hit on a couple deep balls. Safeties have to play deeper. It opens up some run run gaps. It's it's a give and take always. And you got to read what the defense is doing, and be be able to figure out what they're doing early, and, and attack, and then adjust as it goes.
1: Uh, we have a question from Jasper Smith on YouTube. He says, with uh, Marquise Step getting more carries, who is going to get less reps, Stephen Carr or Evai Malapai?
3: I, I've said this before, Ooh. but I think it depends on the game as to whether yeah. you know if you're if you're going to block the guys, then Stephen Carr's a guy you want in the game, because once he gets a hole, you saw what he can do. If you're not going to block guys, then Marquis Step needs to get more carries. You know, if you're struggling to block a team, then Marquis Step is going to bull his way through for a couple yards. He may not hit the right hole every single time, but he's just going to be super physical and fall forward. Yeah. Whereas Stephen Carr is going to be patient and try to wait for a block, you know, and if it's not there, then he ends up with negative yards a couple of times. We've seen that happen a couple of times. So, and Vi's kind of the guy in the middle. He does just a, everything well, nothing exceptional, but he catches the ball in the backfield. He blocks probably better, the best of the three. you know. So that's why he's the guy starting. Now, if someone has the hot hand, can you ride the hot hand? That's probably a, a more interesting question, and it's not necessarily something we We haven't really seeing. seen that. Yeah, yeah, we haven't
2: seen that much.
3: Which is something – you know, maybe you'd like to see employed, uh,
2: deployed a little bit more. But if you're, if you're a Marquis Step fan, the fact that he got a first quarter carry for the first time was a big deal.
1: Mm-hmm. We'll see, and he's going back home on Saturday. Yes, Indiana, it'll be interesting. He was,
2: wasn't he committed to Notre Dame? Was he Whoops. was asked
1: about it, and and. Just him thinking about going back to like playing at Notre Dame, he just couldn't stop the smile. And so it's, it's interesting when you see kids kind of have those moments pop up in their career.
2: Maybe as a huge game, you know? Like You never person, know. Yeah. We'll
1: see. Uh, let's go to a Facebook question from Jason who says, Why does Coach Hilton make comments like we still have all our goals in front of us after losing to a North team like Washington? I'm sure he didn't intend to imply this, but he basically implied that the Notre Dame game is meaningless with the lack of intention behind the implication of his comments is relatively scary in and of itself.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, it's not encouraged. I didn't really like when he was going that way, but I think for Clay is going to be a very positive person most of the time. And the most positive thing this team did was beat Utah, which we all said was the most important game on the schedule because you have the tiebreaker now and everything. And the way the Pac-12 is shaping up, people are getting losses, but having that win over Utah is a big deal. So when you lose to Washington, the way you minimize that is like you still have the, you know, you still can win the South. You could still face this team again and you could still make it to the Rose Bowl. Now, that's a couple steps down from trying to make the college football playoff. Getting a big win over a rivalry, I mean, a rival in Notre Dame, that really wasn't addressed. And I, I agree with you. It's sort of like it was so almost dismissive of what, how important the Notre Dame game is. It's the most important game to USC fans as far as like that's the one they're going to remember. Um, strategically, the Utah game was the most important. But emotionally, and for everyone at USC, you want to beat Notre Dame, Worse than anybody. I mean, maybe, you know, UCLA could be up there. What you, you'd rather, the, the, beating Notre Dame is the best feeling you could have, and losing to UCLA is the worst. So it's somewhere, it's, beating UCLA isn't as important as beating Notre Dame. So, yes, to me, that was a little, you had Notre Dame up next. I think that's where your focus should be, not on, hey, we can get back, win the South, and see this team again, uh, which doesn't look like Washington's going to be that team anyway. So the odds of USC playing Washington again this season are pretty slim right now, I would say.
1: What's interesting is going through the comments. A lot of people are wondering about both Arizona schools. A lot of people think that USC is going to lose to both Arizona schools, and I don't know why they're talking about it right now. I mean, Arizona is coming up, but it's just I mean, interesting. People are ahead. Are they looking both ahead.
2: four and one right now? Is that right? I mean, it's. I uh, so. Yeah, I mean, they're like legit wins. Um, playing better Arizona in the beginning, like their defense was awful against Hawaii. It w- they were terrible. Then they played like a one double A school. Ooh, they, Arizona. They gave up like forty one points or something. But since that point. They played well. They, when they played Texas Tech, they were flying all over the place. They were super physical. I watched that game like this is amazing. Like this defense has not played like that for sure. Um, and so the defense is playing better. They won without Khalil Tate. They're winning with Khalil Tate. Um, that's a. I mean, it's a legit team right now. So mm-hmm. it's not like USC is playing so well that you can overlook any of those teams. So you can't. I don't think you can overlook either one of them. Arizona State is like an NFL team. It's always going to be within a within a touchdown. So, don't you know? It's going to be a close game. You just have to make the right play. You talk about Clay Houghton saying, "You're five or six plays away from whatever." Like this is one of those things where you miss a couple plays, you're going to be in the game with Arizona State no matter what. And if you don't make if you don't make the play at the end of the game, Arizona State's going to win. So that's one of those. Things. Herm Edwards is keeping it NFL style, and he wins the close games. So I think he's like. Five and one, or something, in games decided by three points or less—like it's something crazy like that. And Herm's doing it NFL style, and he's winning.
1: Yeah, keeping in that same vein, David on Facebook says a loss to ranked Notre Dame team maybe doesn't get Helton fired, but do you think a loss to UCLA or another unranked Pac-12 team seals the deal?
3: If you lose to UCLA this year, oh, it's, it, I mean they were bad last year. Somehow they've gotten worse this season. It's bad.
1: Yeah, um,
2: I've watched them twice and just been like, this is a putrid football team. <laughs> yeah, putrid. I mean, per- I mean I've mean, i told you, I think I've said this on the other show to me since after five and seven, you lose to BYU who lost to Toledo. Toledo. Did they play this past week? I think they had a buy. They had a buy this past weekend. That's inexcusable. Like you can't there's no room for improving. You can't like say, oh, we're getting better. Like there wasn't any time for that. It was you were five and seven. Most fans didn't want you back. You come back, it's not like you can slowly ramp your way up. You have to be, you know, full, full throttle Paying right marks. away. And you missed your mark terribly with the BYU game. So to me, it's like, yeah, if you don't win out, I, I don't think you have to lose to UCLA. I, I, my personal opinion is they're going to be a coaching change almost no matter what. But, you know, besides, if you win out, maybe not. If you don't, anything short of that, I think, is that most likely the writing's on the wall. We shall see. That's just my opinion.
1: Shotgun but. doesn't like talking about hypotheticals, and neither no. do I. So let's move so on. So I'll do it. Yep. Uh, SC Jeremy says, do you trust this team playing in the cold with a quarterback from Arizona? Now, right now, the forecast, the high for Saturday in South Bend is 51 and raining in the forecast. So uh, maybe we'll see some of those wet ball drills uh, this week in practice.
2: We won't see it, but maybe they'll have some. I don't if know, they be, do in the first 20
1: minutes. There's yes. guys
2: from the cold that hate play the cold, and there's guys from, from the heat that don't seem to care. Like, I don't know. If that's I thought it was an interesting question. I, I, I yes. bolded it because he is from Arizona. It is. How yeah, often
3: yeah. is he playing in, in potentially cold and rainy weather? It doesn't happen very Well, what about this often.
1: team in turnovers? I know it's interceptions mostly, but. Also true. If it's the wall's wet.
2: Yeah, fumble it. I mean, what Brett Favre was from Louisiana and played in you know all those th- in Green Bay. Like it wasn't like he grew up. In, he was uh, getting paid to play. Then it's different, right? But I'm just saying, like some <laughs> some guys just like will do well in whatever environment it is, you know. So I'm not just because Kinslow is from Arizona, I don't think he can't play in the cold. It, he just hasn't, so we don't know. No. I mean,
1: we shall see. Uh, Jasper Smith on YouTube says, "Can this year's O line get a push against Notre Dame? The Notre Dame front seven, considering they lost some guys from last year."
3: I think so. I mean, I, I still think that Notre Dame has a really good front seven. Again, there's a couple of, of stars in that mix. Yeah. Um, but I think if they have the right schematics, I think USC can. I think their left side is really good. Has been getting a consistent push. That has been probably the biggest difference from last year with the offensive offensive line is that they've been getting a push more consistently than last year. Now, there's been some times when they miscommunicate. There's some miscommunications where they've missed some guys in that regard. But they're just they aren't just getting. Clay Helton's physical beats all the time. That was what they were getting destroyed by that in the first half of the season last year. I think they've really cleaned that up. I think Drevno has, has done a, a really good job as far as that. Um, you know, can they communicate well enough? You know, playing in a night game in Notre Dame Stadium when it's going to be going crazy—that's going to be a big question. Yeah. You know, Brett Neal, and I talked with him last week, and you know, he said it was really loud uh, against Washington, but he said he learned a lot about how to be more communicative because it was the first time they'd been in that, you know, that type of environment more so than BYU. Um, but he said, there's some different things I can do that I didn't realize I could do. He's like, I can just scream stuff. And, you know, the defense is not paying attention necessarily. And they're not, you know, I just to, because, you know, sometimes you're worrying about, okay, well, are they watching this and, He's like, I just got to go out there and make sure that everyone is on the same page. That's more important than a defense, like hearing that you have a certain call or something. Yep. Makes sense.
1: Makes sense. Let's go to a question um, from MC. He says, question for Shotgun, who would you take, Michael Pittman or J.J. Arcega-Whiteside?
3: That's a tough question. Arcega-Whiteside yeah, has done pretty well in the NFL so far from the couple times I've seen him play. Where's, but where's he playing? I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say, um, I want to say it's like Minnesota, but I don't think that's correct either. I can look it up in a second, but uh, you know I would take Michael Pittman because Pittman gives you all the things Arcega-Whiteside does with the height and ability to jump, go up and get jump balls. He's also faster than people give him credit for. He, he's a big body that is able to to make plays. Uh, you know, can run after the catch as well. I think he does that a lot better than Arcega-Whiteside. Lizzie, you're younger. I'm taking. I'm taking. The, I'm gonna stay. Loyal to the team covering and say that Michael Pittman Jr. is a guy I would take over. Or say what's that? All right.
1: Well, there you go. Mateo on YouTube says, have we ran any two-back sets with those talented running backs you would think we'd at least use one as a decoy or force them to cover two backs?
2: You should check out Shotgun's uh, analysis after the game. <laughs> the, uh...
3: So I'm actually doing a, instead of, uh, you know, I usually I do like an eight, seven or eight things you may have missed from the previous game. I'm actually going to do from the first five games of the season. There'll be a more emphasis on Washington, but uh, kind of changing it up this week, which should be out tomorrow morning. One of the things I look at is the two back sets it's because they have not run any the last three weeks
2: or did last they, three games that they've done. So they did Stanford like once get, or something? Against or?
3: Stanford, they ran it three times. Against three times. Fresno State, they had six carries for 60 yards with two back sets. So nine times in the first two games, you know, averaging almost nine yards a carry. Or nine yards of play, excuse me, and they haven't used it three weeks straight or three oh. games straight. So kind of interesting that you would just go away from something that's being has been having success. And then all that goes back to game planning for individual teams. But it seems like something you would throw in there. I, you know, I keep an eye on an eye on that for the future to see if they actually go back to that because you know, do you want step in car in the game? Do you want Vi in car or Vi and step in the game at the same time? There can be some interesting matchups, and you know, those guys are. Unique enough that if
2: you put them in the game, it causes defense to look at them in two different ways. Who do you think would be? Step and Carr? I think it's Step would be involved because it's Notre Dame too. He's going back home. (laughs) Are you
1: predicting a two-back set right
2: now? I think for Trevino's bold predictions, he needs to put in there, I'll add mine, that they'll use at least, I'm going to say, at least four two-back sets. Wow. (laughs) And Stephen Carr will be, I mean, uh, Marky Step will be involved in all of them. How about that? All of them. Yeah. Wow.
3: I mean, the Bold thing is, tradition. like, you can use him. If it's a standard shotgun two-back set, you can use him as a lead blocker. You know, you can use just you can send a guy out in the, into a, a pass route and leave him in the block or leave one of the guys. There's some different things you can do with that. Uh, sure. To answer my previous question of myself, JD Arcega-Whiteside <laughs> is with the Eagles. Okay. He only has two catches for 14 yards. He was getting a lot of play on time earlier with all the injuries they had, so he had some targets but wasn't coming down with everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's why with, YouTube no. was screaming Eagles. Nelson Aguilar, yeah.
3: I was looking it up. Sorry,
2: guys.
1: Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> let's actually go to our caller who has been on the line for a good bit. Thank you for waiting. Thank you, caller. Yes, hold on. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
5: Hi, good evening. This is Jeff from Orange County. How are you? Hello, Jeff. Uh, thank you for uh, doing the show. Um, I've got a question, actually a two-part question, and it sort of touches on what Ryan was initially talking about and obviously Shotgun as well. Um, we all know why Clay Helton was hired initially. It's because he was the adult in the room, as Ryan uh, likes to say. But do you guys think, and I ask because you guys are on these coaches a lot more than we are, um, do you guys think that these coaches, mainly Helton, has instilled the losing culture? And I, I ask that because you know after losses or in the post game pressers it doesn't seem like it bothers him he's just laughing and giggling is it because they're just used to losing and the writing's on the wall um or or is that just the type of person he is i've seen you know videos after practice where you guys are interviewing a certain player or a certain coach and clancy or, or coach baxter just walking in the background just lollygagging laughing and joking after a loss and more and more i see when when, they, when you guys interview the players First thing they say is well we just got to go back look at the film and correct our mistakes uh and the second part of my question is um when you hear teams talking about each other you know they'll say when they're interviewing they'll say well they're they're well coached um they're a good team they're this all you hear about usc is they're talented you don't hear anything about coaching you don't hear anything about a good team all they say is they're talented which we all know they are so main part of question is do you think i mean my main question is do you think he has instilled the losing culture, and have we lost respect from a majority of the teams um, nationwide? Thank you.
2: Thanks for the call. Uh, yeah, that's the most common thing you hear when you play in USC. They're very talented. Um, I think that's a fair point. That You don't hear a lot of, that was a really well... <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't... I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's just whatever. I mean, that's you're talking about opponents saying that, but we've always heard the talent part. We've never heard or hardly ever heard the coaching part, uh, at least in the last decade or so. I don't think they're... In, you know, instilling some kind of losing culture. Uh, I I think that some of the things that Clay Helton says after a loss don't necessarily sit well with a lot of the fans. And, you know, and those of us in the media, too, we've questioned some of the things, the way it's run. But I don't think he's trying to install some kind of losing culture. I I don't think he's (laughs)
1: laughing or giggling or any of those things that were said. Like, that's not how he presents himself in those pressers and whatnot.
2: But would you like to see – I mean, we've said this. Like, after a loss, would you like to have him say, like, this is unacceptable, um, we're going out, we're practicing tomorrow, full pads, we're running goal, whatever it is, you'd like to see him do something fired up, do something a little bit different. He has a plan, and he just kind of sticks to the plan. They're like, hey, this didn't work out. We're going to go back to the plan, and we'll keep working, maybe tweak a few things and go forward. And I think that's some of the stuff where it's like, is that going to give you your best chance to win? I, I mean, don't necessarily agree with the philosophy, but it's not like he's trying to instill some kind of you know, losing mentality. Yeah. I mean, if
3: you don't if you're not consistently winning, then that's when the you'll get questions about how good is the team, how good is the coaching when there's talent on the on the roster. You know, it it's very you you never take a team that finishes in the top 10 every year in recruiting and go, you know, they were they were really coached up to play a, above their means. No, yeah. like no one says that about Alabama. Nobody goes, well, they were just they just right. didn't have any talent. They just coached them up so well. You yeah. said that about Everyone's Fresno State, who, yeah.
2: like, they won 12 games last year. Like, Jeff Tedford did an amazing job because you know they don't yeah. have the kind of players yeah. that they, the te- some of the teams they beat.
3: And, and that's just the, the nature of recruiting in one, you know, and talent in, in another. You know, if you're doing a really good job coaching, it becomes a, a long-term thing. You know, Pete Carroll, you know, he won the first, the first year he was winning. It wasn't, hey, Pete Carroll's really coaching them up really well. It's after, you know, a couple years you they they're coached really well. Because you can see that they're consistently getting better, that there's development, and that's another reason why you don't hear about you know that they're coaching really well is because there've been development questions with the with this roster over the last few years, you know, and guys that should be getting drafted higher than you know they, you know, when you see them coming out of high school and stuff, you expect them to be much higher draft
2: picks than they end up being. So those are type of things that are, are why you don't hear that. I don't think. I think development's a big part of it too, because maybe that second year for Pete Carroll. You know, you're, I think you're saying it's a well-coached team because they took a team that, you know, was below 500, got them to 500, and then went to the Orange Bowl the next year. But you also saw players on the team like a Troy Palmalo or a Carson Palmer who were now playing way above where they were playing before. So I think you, you look at the coaching on that side of it and go, yeah. But then after a while, USC's got so many good players. Are you saying it, it's not necessarily about Pete Carroll anymore and what scheme they're running? It's like, man, they got tons of talent there too. Yeah, yeah. The, the kind of the narrative changes as if you're consistently winning versus you have turned around a program versus you've taken a program that was doing really well and you're now struggling. Yeah, like when Sark took over Washington when they're zero and twelve, you say, hey, they did a good coaching job when he made them, whatever they said. Were they seven and five I forget what it was, but you know, turning them mm-hmm. around like that, you're like, that's what you're going to say, but. When you have like the number four roster in the country, according to 24 7 sports, and you go five and seven, they're not going to say much about the coach. I'm assuming it was six and six because he was six win Sark, right? He was seven when Sark. Yeah. I think they might have went six and six that first year. I don't have to say.
1: We'll see. We'll come back to that, I'm sure. Uh, Let's go to a Facebook question from John. He says Is stopping USC's offense as simple as dropping eight and rushing three? The two teams that did that won the game.
3: If you can get USC to throw three interceptions, yes. But if USC runs the ball consistently, then it forces you to come out of that. And that's the, that's the thing they haven't been able to do in those two games is to force you to come out of it necessarily. To run it enough where you're just like, we, we can't keep doing this. We're just getting gashed 10, 8, 10, 12 yards a carry. Um, we've got to make an adjustment. And Washington did some of that. They changed their looks to an extent, but they were still in that five-man box a lot. So you have to force the defense to make an adjustment to you Uh, The team that is making the other team adjust more is usually the team that is winning.
2: Yeah. Real interesting point on this. What did Stanford do? Like, they played what they do. They manned up and got absolutely torched. And Utah, top 10 team, they kind of just went to – they started off in man coverage and they had to back off that, but they weren't doing the same sort of things that BYU and even Washington were doing. They're sort of, like, too good to do that. They did what they do, and that didn't work against USC. You had a third-string quarterback throw for – 300-something yards. And Notre Dame's a really good team. They might not change their scheme up much either. So maybe USC's going to have more success against a better defense than Notre Dame because they're not going to use the blueprint that the other teams have kind of shown. So who knows? That might work in USC's favor. I think it did for sure. for sure against Stanford, but Stanford wasn't that good. Now they're playing better. But I think it worked well against Utah. And if Utah had to do it over again, I think they would have played a much different defense.
3: I mean, Graham Harrell talked about how you know if that's something that's usually in your defensive repertoire, then yeah, he expects to see that. But he didn't. He said, "I don't think that teams are just going to completely go away. And if that's not something they normally do, you're not just going to put it in for that game necessarily. Now they might, right?" And said he said, "What? But then you're going to do something you're not normally going to do. Yeah, but it's you're putting guys in positions they're not used to, and that's when errors can happen more often than not. And I had a uh, an offensive coach tell me, you know, off the record was um, that." I asked him, do you expect more drop A? He said, well, hell, that's what i do. <laughs> <laughs> As of right now, you know, until USC right. shows that we're gonna, cause they're going to consistently run the ball and we're going to force you to change things, then, yeah, why not? Interesting.
1: Interesting, indeed. Uh, you mentioned the top uh, number four in the nation in talent, Ryan, that whole thing that we mentioned a lot. Uh, Tim on YouTube says, can Shotgun or Ryan list any position groups besides wide receiver that is top 10 nationally, particularly what about the offensive line? Well, the
3: offensive line hasn't been. They haven't recruited at that level.
2: No, to, for like you got. I mean, but Drew Richmond was a former five star guy. Austin Jackson is a former five star guy. I mean, there's Drew Richmond was a four star when USC got him. He was a four star transfer yeah. in our database. So yeah, don't give him that. Don't give him okay. a five star. I, I that. know, but you know that. <laughs> so that's what he'll get counted. But it's the guys are at least four star, like across the board on the offensive line. I mean, wasn't Jalen McKenzie was not
3: Jalen McKenzie was a three star. Brett Neilan was a four star. Elijah, Elijah Tucker, Tucker was a four, was four star. star. Uh, Liam Jimmins was a three star defensive lineman. Andrew Voorhees was a three star. Okay. Yeah. The unity. They're, I mean, it's just, it's not a group where you had a five star each year. True. So yeah. it, it's, it, that's not the best group to look at for that. Defensive and especially, line, I mean,
2: defensive line, you got.
3: D- defensive I mean, line, like I said, I think they're bordering on elite. I think they're yeah. a group that might be top 10 in the country. Yeah. You know, they're, they're in that, maybe they're. In the top twenty or something, but they're you know they're a group that's up there, and the secondary has that potential,
2: but it's still still young. But running backs like Stephen Carr is a five star. Marky Step was a four star, right? I think um, so. Five is a four star. Five was a four star. I mean, look, like all those guys, the, all your running backs are four or five stars. Christian was a four star, I believe. Keenan Christian, he was a three star. He's a three star. Okay,
3: but those guys are all that is all predicated on the offensive line. If your offense lined up yeah. for it doesn't matter what what your start rating is. But it's not back. just
2: the wide receivers. Like there's there's groups all over the place that have a lot of four or five star guys. Like just that's the way it is. I mean, not but, necessarily. But that would you give any of the other position groups top ten? Defensive line, uh, wide receiver. Yeah, I wouldn't. You know, like at the very top, the running backs are pretty darn good. You know. You could argue for that. If they had better blocking,
3: and that was something that was being emphasized in this offense, then yeah, I think yeah. it puts
2: up put up a bunch of. I yards. mean, their starting quarterback is a five star, but he's out. So T-
1: true. Um, Ryan, are there any Periscope questions? I feel like we haven't given them. We any had uh,
2: so Ryan Fox has wrote in a couple times. Uh, Ryan Fox, now uh, he's always great with us. Uh, with early recruiting season slash signing day, would there be an in season head coaching change? And I think. Dan Weber talks about, it, like, you can't do this again because you've had in season changes twice in a row. But because of the early signing period, it's if you're, different now. Yeah, it could happen. It could potentially happen again. I mean, obviously, you get, you know, it depends on what goes on. But I don't think it's off the table. Normally, it would be because you've had two in a row. You're like, just don't do it again. <laughs> but you kind of need to get a head start on recruiting, especially the way this class is now. If you want to save this class and they're not, they end up not winning a bunch of these games that are important coming up. I don't know. Then you might have to do something in season.
3: If you were going to make a move, it would be ideal to make it earlier because the season ends, there's basically a month until signing day. If your search goes two weeks, you're giving a a new coaching staff two weeks to try to wrangle in a new class. That's not going to happen. Not going to end very well for USC. So if there was something to be done, you would hope that it would happen earlier to help out the recruiting side of it.
1: In regards to the Notre Dame method, uh, we had a question from Augustine on Facebook who says, it's unbelievable that Clay did not make major changes. Is it it because of the lack of experience on his part, or is he just ignorant?
2: I don't think there's ignorance here. I think there's, you know, changes should have been made after 2017, um, and they weren't. And then last year, there were a bunch of changes, but, you know, like we all said, probably not enough. Uh, it's sort of looking that way now, like you probably needed to make a few more, uh, than what you did, but I don't think it's ignorance. I think it's more about, you know, you're an inexperienced head coach and you want to stay in this comfort zone of what you feel comfortable with 2017. If you, you know, a a Brian Kelly might've said, you know what? We won the, we won the conference, but we, we didn't look good against Notre Dame. We didn't look good against Ohio state. We got to make a few tweaks here and make some changes. They didn't do it. They stand, they stood pat. And I think that was a mistake. But that's more – I think that's more about being an inexperienced coach who's trying to do what's familiar and comfortable as opposed to – I don't think he's – he's not ignorant, you know.
3: Yeah. I, I just thought it was bad to bring up Notre Dame over and over like Helton and Swan did. Yes. And then yeah. don't say you're going to be like that and then not – Not
1: do it. Yeah.
3: Not act like that. Um, so – but Lin Swan won the he championed several times this – you know, during the offseason. We made 15 – 15 new staff members or 15 new hires or something like that. Which 15 was, changes.
2: Which is a complete bunk.
3: And it was like, okay, well, you hired a new recru- recruiting, in-home recruiting person. Yeah. Or you had like That's not a coaching change. And the coaching changes you did make were moving some guys over. You know, there weren't – you know, Joe DeForest was already on, you know, as a analyst or whatever, Kerry Colbert, Tim Drevno. Those are not new hires. Yeah. And so if you want to change the culture, which is one of the things, one of his five or six things he said that needed to be changed – Then you have, and you're gonna, and you're gonna say, Notre Dame has done this. Then be like Notre Dame and go go all out. That was the biggest issue I had. Not whether or not they changed enough. It was that if you're gonna say you're gonna be like this, then then be like that.
1: Yeah, if you're gonna go out on a limb and mimic, say that you're gonna mimic your rival, at least do it. (laughs) You know why not? If not, then just say that we're gonna make essentially changed
2: offensive coordinator, and that was you know in a couple of, you know a few deck chairs and that's about it. That was the offensive coordinator was the big one. Strength and condition coach was a big one. But that was not by your doing. That's somebody that left. Um but you kept your defensive coordinator, you kept special teams and you know and like Shocken said you moved some coaches around as opposed to bringing in more new faces. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So that's you know.
1: Uh we have reached 815. 15 We'll probably go into oh. rapid fire oh, soon. Oh crap, yeah, yeah. Also we probably Need to do predictions for Notre Dame already, uh, since it's Sunday and we're know.
2: we're I haven't thought about combining
1: that. Right. that cool. Um, can uh, carry on, carry on. I almost said Cameron, I don't know if that's your name. Uh, he says, Man, you guys are really going easy on Clay Helted, he's burning the program to the ground, and you were just sitting there watching.
2: Well, our job is to watch to begin with, yeah, yes, <laughs> we're not fixing any of this, like, this that's not us, and I don't think we've been. Giving him a pass. I think we've, you know, I said.
3: Ask inside of Heritage Hall and see how Yeah, how they we'll don't like it. what we're
2: saying. <laughs> no. The people that are watching right now are like, oh, they're, they're crushing clay again. Like, so, and they're. The Heritage Hall people's mind, we're crushing them. In your mind, we're like building them up somehow. So yeah. that's probably a good thing if we're, we should be in the middle there somewhere. We're, we're neutral. We're trying to be stock objective. Neutral? No. Neutra- it's stock neutral. We're yeah. trying to be objective about what's going on. But to me, I, I was very clear. After five and seven, you can't have hiccups like BYU. And it's, that's looking worse each week. So that's that's my personal opinion.
1: Um, Victor on YouTube says, hey, Tunnel Vision, is the whole Urban Meyer ch- chatter becoming an annoyance?
3: Yeah, it's been for a while for me. <laughs> I, don't, I like talking about it. jobs that aren't open. So. Yeah, that's right. the
1: whole thing. It's like it's not an opening. And, you know, the Tunnel Vision rule. We don't talk about yeah. A non-open. Yeah, but my it, but I like <laughs> it's making a it a rule now. <laughs>
2: it is. I don't like that rule. Uh, <laughs> I like. So you could break the rules, Ryan. That's the. I guess key. I can break the rules. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean the best thing Clay Hilton did all year was beat Utah, having Urban Meyer on the field. That was huge. So to get his, you know, his biggest win came at the exact right time to kind of quiet some of those rumors a little bit. So. You want to give Clay Helton criticism for whatever he did? Like The best thing he did all all year for him was beat Utah and kind of quiet that because Urban Meyer was in the freaking building. True. Which is crazy.
1: Okay. Uh, Corey Uh on Facebook has asked this multiple times. He says, question, when an AD is hired, would it be possible to keep it hush-hush and keep it so low-key that they could have a new coach, hopefully Urban, announced the day after Helton is let go so they can decrease turmoil with the team and recruiting?
3: Why, Why would that matter? Why would you hide the AD? I don't understand that question.
1: I believe... Are they
2: saying... I, it sounds like maybe they're not hiding the AD. Maybe hire, hide the... the urban co- bi- yeah, bi- the I think coach. So, like
1: the coaching decision. So it's like he's hired and then also this is coming down the line. I don't I think, think you want to hide it for coaching?
2: like to stop turmoil. Like, I mean, there's going to be turmoil. Like there's... If you're going to... If you're firing them, it's because turmoil has been going on. There's already been some turmoil. There, if you're firing him, there'll probably be more turmoil. Um, I don't think you're avoiding any of that. So it's it's just... At this point, if that's the direction you're going, you get your AD in place. If you know who you want, it happens to be an Urban Meyer, you, you name it as soon as possible because you want him out there helping on the recruiting trail. Even if you name him and he doesn't start till later on after the season when he's done with his uh, analyst work, whatever. But I don't, I don't think there's a need to keep that hush-hush. You just want to put it out there as fast as possible, I would think.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, we have a caller, so let's go to that, and then we'll go to rapid fire. So shotgun, get get ready there. Uh, but let's go to our last caller of the night. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision.
0: Hey, team. It's Andrew from Livermore. How are y'all doing tonight?
1: Hello, What's up, hello? Andrew?
0: Hey, uh, first, I have a special uh, request. Uh, Ryan, give us an extra 20 minutes after the show so we can uh, listen to the show fo- uh, 100%. And then... Subscribe for those three months. Hopefully that can be a deal. Um, hey, so I have uh, two questions real fast. So uh, one is my my feeling is that this athletic director hire is really going to be um, the biggest decision because it really sets the overall um, focus of our school. our president sending a message. If, if if sports and football is going to be a main priority. Um, I know two Two uh, ADs that have been mentioned a lot is the AD from Washington State and Villanova. Want to know if those were home run hires to you all, and if that would, if you guys feel and um, feel like that would be like a strong message to the entire school. And also about the comments about the players, liking like Clay Helton. Uh, the an uh, old college recruiter myself, I feel like a lot of times you recruit kids that represent you, and you know Clay is really nice. Um, but when Pete Carroll was there, man, he he would bring in some some players that were extremely fired up and that were e- extremely intense, um, and uh, Ray Malaluga, Clay Matthews, and so forth. So, I wanted to get your opinion um, on that as well. And thank you all for everything you do. And fight off.
2: Hey, thanks for
0: the
1: call. Thank you, Is it
2: Patrick. Right, Andrew. Andrew, sorry. Yeah.
1: where'd that come from?
2: I don't know. <laughs> I, my brains. I can't do another twenty minutes, Andrew, because my brain's going. <laughs> He's saying either. for the deal, give them an extra twenty minutes so they
3: can watch the whole show. And then uh, go on. yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Email me,
1: hey, ryan it, it's at It's USC one of those that if you were here and you watched it, you know, and then you can email him. Not yeah. like you have to email him during Tunnel Vision. Yeah. Right,
2: ryan? just email me afterwards. Yeah. It's fine. If you email me a week from now, I'm not going to do it. But if you're emailing me tonight, it'll be fine. <laughs> so it's pretty simple. Um, I think you mentioned two names. Uh, so the Washington State AD, Pat Chun. I think that's more of a home run hire. The Villanova AD, Mark Jackson. I like Mark. Know Mark pretty well. Not a home run hire. He's the guy that hired Sark essentially. So, no, that if you want to send a message, there's two different messages being sent there. You hire the guy from Washington State, that's sending a good message. Um, That's like, this is someone that's done the job before. He's not been around the USC program. You're hiring him on his merits. Mark Jackson is kind of bringing the band back together. And he's done nice things at Villanova, but I think just let him stay in Villanova. That's not someone you need to bring back to USC. At this point, you don't need to bring anyone back to USC. You need to bring in new blood from outside. So I think there's two separate messages that would be sent there, a good one and a bad one. You'll likely see Mark Jackson in a couple weeks because Villanova is coming
3: to play an exhibition basketball game at USC mm-hmm. on October 18th. You guys should come out and watch that. It should be fun. Um, get my little Just basketball. to talk to Mark.
2: I'll talk to Mark, yeah.
3: Yeah, you should do it. Um, but... Yes, I think the AD hire is huge to to kind of send a directive. You know, which which direction is the school going? You know, how how valuable are athletics to the University of Southern California? You know, I think that that plays into it really well. You know, is it just going to be Olympic sports are important? Are any sports important? are the money-making sports the only ones that are important? Or are they all important? You know, I think that... All the questions. You know, all those play in with the athletic director hire. And I think looking back the track record of whoever is hired, what they've done at their previous stops, you know, a guy like Greg Byrne, who was a a name that I championed previously, you know, when USC was looking and they hired Lin Swan instead. He's now at Alabama. Right. From Arizona.
2: Obviously, pretty good at his job.
3: Yeah, he's done good. Uh, Did a good job at Arizona and then moving forward to, to Alabama. So... That tells you if you go out and get a guy like that, that goes, okay. We're getting a guy who's up and coming, who's done a really good job at other places, or we're getting somebody we know. Right.
2: And no more, you know, (laughs) you can't USC this decision again. You just can't do it.
1: What what are the requirements? You have the coaching requirements. Does it apply to the athletic director?
2: Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like (laughs) you have to have been a college athletic director and been good. So it's simple. You've had the job that you're being hired for. Sorry. I'm getting there. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I wanted to know. Jeez, <laughs> There's millennials. No, just yeah. You have to have been an AD before somewhere good. Has USC done that the last three times? No. They've hired former football players. Get someone that's been a good AD somewhere else at a major program. Bring them in. Could have been like, you know, only been at Washington State for a couple years with some other smaller schools. Was an assistant at Ohio State, like Pat. Chung. That's fine. You you have experience. You've done it before, and you don't know the fight song. No more retreads. No more people that because USC loses the privilege to hire any more USC people because that's the only reason you've hired the last 3 people as athletic director is because they knew the fight song. So, yes, there could be some AD out there who knows about USC. I'm going to say too bad. You're going to you're you're losing out on that now because USC kept hiring people only because of the fight song. So, you lose those privileges. I think that the, the example I give is like you let your kid go get a cookie whatever he wants. He ate too many cookies. Tough. No, you don't get any more cookies. It should be should you allow a cookie a day? Maybe, but you ate too many before. You get no more cookies. USA gets no more fight songs until they hire someone that's good from outside the program. And they really need to. They need to get someone outside in who doesn't know the mess that is the USA athletic department so can walk in and go, holy crap, this is a mess. Here's how I'm going to change everything. If you bring someone that knows it, they're like, well, we got, we've done it this way, this way. I think you need some outside blood that comes in and goes, I'm just going to fix this and do things the right way because USC hasn't been doing that. And USC has so many advantages that still works. You know, it still can work. And you don't get these, you know, five and seven seasons very often, but there's been so much dysfunction in the athletic department. You need outside blood. Okay. There Fair. You.
1: Fair. I'm just curious about your whole theory about having a cookie a day is normally okay. I don't know if that's true. Can you have a cookie a day?
2: I mean, that's pretty moderation, I would say. I guess
1: so. I guess so. But
2: then you start eating too many cookies, and you take the, all the cookies away from the kids. Like, the kids are sure. too much. USC had their hands in the cookie jar too many times. Like, oh, another football player, another football player. No more. No more USC people. Stop. As long as the one cookie is the great American mm. cookie company. <laughs> we have a Lazy a- Lazy Acres near our house in Hermosa. It's, it's like a kind of specialty, like, hi- I, I don't know, maybe a higher-end grocery store. But they make these, like... I think it's like a $4 cookie or something. It's like this big. $4 it's like cookie. this big. Maybe wow. it's $3. I don't know. It's like, That's it's expensive. I think it's three bucks. That's the ones Ryan would be having one but day. But they're, oh my God, they're <laughs> huge. And they're like this thick. They're pretty awesome. Apparently
1: Basically. there was a second part to Andrew's question. He said, don't forget it. Uh, don't
3: we don't did, it. Andrew. See, right. Andrew also said real quick. And
2: then his question yeah. was really long.
1: That tends to happen when people call in. Yeah. Uh But, a Ryan rant for you. Two guys part, right there. two part
2: questions are no cool, no no bueno. We're not no going to cool. be able to remember. No oh, cool, no cool, <laughs> no cool, no <laughs> bueno. And then if you're going to say remember the second part, tell us what the second part was. Don't just say because well, if we didn't remember it the first time, you saying remember the second part, <laughs> we're not going to remember it again. So
1: rant again, rant yeah. again. No, um, we had a question or uh, uh, the recruits. He said the recruits still don't remember. Pist- um,
2: not enough information. That was a long <laughs> anyway, time ago. Anyway, next week
1: uh, we had. A comment in regards to what you said, Ryan, about after 5-7 and season, you don't have a lot of leeway. Someone said, well, what if you lose your first and second-string quarterback? Do you get leeway then?
2: I just said no. Like, you you have enough talent on this team, and your second-string quarterback is a true freshman. Like, oh, it's a true freshman. Like, well, that's a true freshman you picked. Matt Fink and Jack Sears was also on the team, and you got rid of Jack Sears, basically. So you could have made Jack Sears the number two guy, and he would have stuck around. So these are decisions that you have made. Injuries happen in college football. You don't get a pass— because of that, we've seen true freshmen succeed. We've seen Stanford beat Washington with their their third string quarterback. So I don't think you can use it as an excuse. Now, if this was a team that was nine and three last year or something, and they were trying to make the playoffs this year, you're like, you know what, didn't make the playoffs. And we're down to a third string quarterback, that's fine. But after five and seven, you have to perform. And I'm not saying you got to beat Washington and beat Notre Dame and beat Utah. Beating Utah is a great thing. But you can't lose to BYU, so that's that's my thing. Like that's not because, you that was your second straight quarterback that you picked. You could have picked somebody else, and you picked him, and that's still on you. So I you don't get a pass for me on that. Like there's there's no you know people say that there's just no excuses now. Like this team is way too talented to have been five and seven, and it's way too talented to have lost to BYU. And you also recruited that position not well enough to yeah. have a true
3: backup or to have okay. JT Daniels as a true freshman have to come in early and take over yeah. after Sam Donald left because they went two classes in a row where they got backup choices. Matt Fink and Jack Sears were both backup choices. You know, they went cycled through guys that are starting for other programs and ended up with Matt Fink. You know, you cycled through guys and ended up with Jack Sears instead of getting your number one pick, and that was your recruitment. So And yeah. that's not like it was the other coaches prior to that. This was this staff, so it's on them.
2: Yeah, so yeah. if Good I was any wishy-washy at all, no, that is not an excuse.
1: Uh, we have a question from A Dog's Life in Portland. He said, why did they wait so long on JT Daniels' surgery?
3: He actually he had swelling in his knees still, so they didn't want to rush it. Um, I talked to him after whatever the last home game, Utah, and he still hadn't had the surgery, and it was, it was because there was still swelling in it, so they wanted to make sure that that was all gone so that they could correctly operate on it.
1: Makes sense. Um, shotgun, are there any questions I missed? If not, let's go to score predictions.
3: I'm sure I can come up with some, but if no, you just I, want to I go... No, I think I got
1: them all. You oh, um, did not get them all. Uh, well, but anyway. The ones that I wanted to choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan, let's start with you. What's your score?
2: Well, okay, spread's 11. Um, I think the turnover thing's going to be a big deal. Uh, I believe Keaton Slovis will probably start. Um, I don't have a lot of confidence that USC is going to win the turnover battle. I think USC is going to have to uh, to get this done. I think this is the, the best team USC is going to face. And they're playing pretty well right now. Uh, I think Notre Dame's going to win 35-21. Spread 11. I was thinking
3: 31-20, but for some reason, I'm just 28-24. And oh. I think it ends up being close for some reason. Okay.
1: Interesting. USC I, covers? I
2: could be completely wrong, but I'm yeah. also terrible at predictions, as I say each time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think USC covers this one, but you know we'll see.
1: Um, My original thought was a, a – Part two of the two thousand and seventeen game, the forty nine to fourteen. Ooh. I know I
2: that's, that's that's hard to get out of your mind. Also, I, I also thought thirty one fourteen to begin with, that slowly crept the. But that, th- but say that USC d- team didn't have a good quarterback, right? <laughs> Sam Darnold. Oh yeah. wait, they had Sam Darnold, and Whoops. they lost by that many. Yeah, that's Whoops. why I don't have a whole lot of confidence right now.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, just to make it sound less bad, I'll say thirty five fourteen Notre Dame. Oh, okay.
2: how about that? So you're, you're like, I'm at least giving USC three touchdowns. What's the rate of Troy? They say like it's USC's always good for three touchdowns. It's just
1: it, I think to Raider win Troy you gotta says, get the four. Yeah, yeah.
2: And uh, I don't know if USC's gonna get the four.
1: We shall gotta, see. Gotta not,
2: you have to avoid the turnovers. I mean, that's just such a yeah. big deal. And Notre Dame's been so good at that. But Notre Dame's given up 14 points a game. Um, points might be tough to come by in this one. We'll see.
1: Like the caller said, the environment always does play, uh, I think, a, a factor in this team. Although, UW, they did fight back. So, I don't know. if that, fully...
2: You know, I said this. I spoke at the uh, Trojan Club up in the uh, San Gabriel Valley. And uh, although Dr. Bartner spoke after me and said I was Mr. Doom and Gloom. And I didn't think I was Doom and Gloomy. I wasn't anywhere near as Doom and Gloomy as I am on this show. I was trying to be nice. and uh, But USC did not give up against Washington. I think if you want to say how well or, or poorly they've played or whatever. I think the one thing, we haven't seen them throw the towel, in. we've yeah. seen it before. So I think that's one hard. positive thing where they stuck with it. And, you know, despite the turnovers, they've, they've, they haven't given up. And so if it's a closer game and there's some adversity against Notre Dame and you have a chance to win, I think the one thing you can look back on is they haven't given up yet. You don't expect them to do that there. And if, you know, they get a break to go their way, you can squeeze out a win late. So I think that's one positive thing we've seen from this team. True. And Very when, true
3: and when they've grade. won there in the past, there's been a game-changing, you know, in recent years, there's been a game-changing turnover. Uh, if you remember the the fumble, I think Demetrius Wright or someone picked up and, and ran, a tu- uh, ran a fumble back for a touchdown, hmm. uh, uh, probably 2011 or 2013 now. But, you know, it churn- swung the whole momentum of the game and USC kind of ran away with it then. When they won at home, you know they've gotten turnovers and they've gotten Dory Jackson plays because he's special.
1: Dory, yeah, true. righty. any final thoughts, guys, before we wrap it up?
3: All right, I got nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got you got me some left. late rants. But yeah. we're already an hour and a half in, so I'm going yeah. to
1: Very true. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks so much for tuning in. Like I said, we will not be here for Thursday's show. Those two gentlemen over there are going to be doing other things, so can't do it this week. But we'll be back on Sunday, next Sunday, to break it all down. Uh, coming back from South Bend, all of us will be there, and we'll be back here. Uh, so it will be a good time had by all. But that's going to wrap it up. That's Chuck on. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next week. Bye. See you all.